This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. What exactly does that mean? 
And you look at the Salihin, you look at the Sahaba, and Allah be pleased with them, and Ali ta'ala demonstrating this utmost level of yaqeen, certainty, demonstrating this utmost level of muraqabah, understanding that you are being observed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So much so that Ali said that if I was to seek Jannah, then I would not want it more than I already want it. Meaning there is no way that I could want it more than I already do. If I was to see hellfire, then I would not be more terrified of it than I already am because that's the level of fear that he had of hellfire. How certain are you that you're being watched? How certain are you that your deeds will be presented to you? And the concept of al-muraqabah is an extremely profound one that Imam al-Qadam in his book uh, Al-Hajj al-Qasidin he talks about the concept of muraqabah and he says that Allah observes you and you observe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so there's the muraqabah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon you and you also are in observance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I just want you to put yourself in this situation Allah has described to us two types of people on the Day of Judgment. Obviously, the believers who are full of joy, who are laughing, whose faces are very bright, who are extremely proud, extremely confident. And on the other hand, the disbelievers, those who disobeyed Allah and transgressed, and their their hearts are full, you know, their, their hearts are beating so hard that they can feel it physically beating out of their chest. Their eyes are humiliated, their sight is to the ground. And then they are remembering the conversations, they are remembering the mockery they used to make, they are remembering all of the things that they used to do. And they are in this absolute state of fear, this absolute state of trembling that none of us can possibly imagine. And this concept of Muraqabah would save each and every single one of us from all of the sins that we do, if we could truly apply it perfectly, and we would never be able to apply it to perfection. Because it's a very simple concept. If you had a human being who was with you 24-7, would you sin the way that you do? No. Absolutely not. Now Allah tells us about the decision-making time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us about those who receive their books in their right hands. Allah And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing the way that they are whenever they receive their book of deeds in the right hand. What do they start to do? They start to go around and they start to say, Ha They start going around everybody that they can find on the Day of Judgment that they know and they start showing their deeds and they're saying, go ahead and read my book. This is my Salat, this is my Salat, this is my Siyam, this is my Husn uh, al this is my Husn uh, al and other people, this is my Tasbih and they're going around and they're showing people their deeds. Whereas those who receive their books in the left hand, what are they doing? What is the first thing that they say? What is the first thing that they say? I wish I was never given my book. And I did not know of my accountability. 
In fact, they would wish that they did not exist. Now here's the key. What if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to send you your book of deeds now? Would you be willing to show people that book of deeds? Or would you be ashamed? That's a very tough question. Because that book of deeds on the Day of Judgment is not different from the deeds that we do here. That book of deeds reflects the deeds that we do here. Would you be willing to show your deeds to everybody in this message? Would you be willing to go to your parents and say, Look at my deeds. Or would you try to put your deeds away and just say, I wish I never existed? And subhanAllah, the example that's always given with Muratama. And what we're really talking about is surveillance. When you're talking about surveillance, it's not that hard of a concept to understand now. Because you've got cameras everywhere, you've got people watching you all the time, you don't know who's listening to you, you don't know. I mean, subhanAllah, I was on the plane this morning, and I just picked up that Skyball magazine, and they sell spying devices in an airplane magazine. And I was like, are you serious? SubhanAllah, you can just go buy this for 30 bucks and supposedly hear 50, you know, within 50 feet, any conversation. <clears throat> so you're always being watched, you're always being listened to. This concept is not hard for us to understand. <laughs> And I know a very close friend of mine who used to work in a, in a clothing store. That's how I set up his cameras in the store. And you could just simply log online with a certain address, a certain web address, and you could watch what's going on in that store. And he was saying, subhanAllah, after that happened, he was so terrified that his wife might go on that website and see what he's doing, even though he wasn't doing anything wrong, that all of a sudden he found himself lowering his gaze all the time. All of a sudden, he was reluctant to laugh with a person of the opposite gender. All of a sudden, everything changed. Wasn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the one who created her with him at all times? This concept that you are never alone, and actually, subhanAllah, not only is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala watching you, you have two angels with you. Not only are those two angels there, there might be some jinn there too. Not only are the jinn there, there might be human beings who are listening to you too. The point is, is that you are never alone. And whenever we try to sin, and subhanAllah, you know, sinning in private, sinning in private, although Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates that the person will go public with this sin, so you're not supposed to go expose yourself. And there's the very famous hadith where Rasulullah is talking about on the day of judgment, when he brings the abd close, when he brings the servant close, and he's saying, Ya abdi, O my servant, didn't you do this? Didn't you do this? Didn't you do this? And then the person is saying, Ya Rabbi A'lam, I know, I know, I know. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I have hidden it for you today, and I have forgiven you for that sin. You're not supposed to go public with your deeds. But there is also something very interesting. Imam Ibn Qudama says, The sins that you do in private, kill the heart more than the sins that you do in public. They kill the heart more than the sins that you do in public. Why? Because that means that you value the eyes of the people more than you value the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are more worried about people catching you than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seeing you. And then it gets a little bit worse. Let's say that you had a camera on you and your mother was watching you 24-7. How many things would you cut out of your life? But here's where it gets even worse. 
On the Day of Judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not just going to inform you of your deeds. Allah Azza will actually make you read your own deeds. You will have to present your own deeds. I will have to present my own deeds to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's not only like your mother is watching you, it's like having to sit there and watch the surveillance video with your mom and then explain yourself to her. It's deeper than that. Because you are not only aware that your mother is watching you, but you're also observing her presence. And this is the key of muraqaba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is observing you, and you are in observance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whenever you're alone, you find some alone time with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So instead of rushing to do sins because you know that no one else is watching you, what do you do instead? You rush to do good deeds where no one else can see you. Because you don't want other people to infringe on that relationship that you have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you know something, dear brothers and sisters? Allah has given us the likeness of the sins that we commit in many different ways. And you have to be able to use imagery. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, He talks about the sin of backbite. Likens backbiting to eating the flesh. Would any one of you like to eat the dead flesh of your brother? You would hate that. So fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the acceptor of repentance and the all the most merciful. Or when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told Safiya, uh, told Aisha whenever she described Safiya like this, she just put her hand in a way to show that she's short. And Rasulullah says that you have said a word that if you were to spit it into the waters, it would pollute the entire oceans. SubhanAllah. Or whenever Rasulullah is talking about the crime of of uh, riba, interest, that the lowest part of it is like committing zina with your mother multiple times. Or when Rasulullah says that to touch a person who is not related to you, meaning a non-mahram, is worse than taking an iron needle and driving it through your head. You might think to yourself, are these expressions being used just to scare me? Because you know what, in dunya, whenever you use an expression, to say how bad your day was or how bad this was that you did, you usually use that expression knowing that it doesn't amount to that, but at the same time you're trying to make the other party feel good. Right? So whenever someone comes five minutes late to your house and you say, you ruined my life because you came late and we were supposed to have this at this time, but you ruined my life or you ruined my day or my work is like hell on earth. Or you use expressions like that. The actual violation never amounts to the expression. With Allah and His Messenger وسلم, the expression is not strong enough to represent the violation. Meaning if we took our sins more seriously, if we were more disgusted from our sins, then the way that we approach our sins would be a lot more different. Muhammad ibn Wasa'ah, that's what he said. Many of you might have heard this statement, it actually goes back to Muhammad ibn Wasa'ah, who said that if sins had an odor, if sins had a scent, no one would, would want to sit next to me because of how stinky I would be. SubhanAllah. So think about that. 
if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to give you your book of deeds, who would you be willing to show it to? Now let's go to the opposite side. And that is the side of yaqeen. That is the side of certainty. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the hadith, hadith Qudsi, مَنْ أَحَبَّ لِقَائِي أَحْبَبْتُ لِقَائِي Whoever loves to meet me, then I love to meet him. And whoever hates to meet me, then I also hate to meet him. Isn't it ironic that the people who work deeds of righteousness are the ones who are most fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the reckoning of their deeds? SubhanAllah. Isn't it ironic that you would find people who are praying in the masjid, who are observing you know, what would be enough, to, at least in terms of status quo, in terms of the standard, who are observing the standard of being a good Muslim. Isn't that ironic that those people are more afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the guy who's selling liquor, than the guy who's committing sin, and the guy who's running around and acting like he has no Lord and he has no Akhir? It's ironic. SubhanAllah. You are the one who is committing major sins, but you're not afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas Umar bin Abdul Aziz was the same person who it was said about him by the scholars that all of the ulama are students compared to him. He was recognized as the greatest zahid of his time. And his wife, Fatima, may Allah be pleased with her, says that whenever he would read the verse in the Quran, فَرِيْقٌ فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَفَرِيْقٌ فِي السَّعِيدِ a group in paradise and a group in a blazing fire. She would think that she would wake up and the Ummah would have to choose a new Khalifa, meaning he would die from how much he would tremble out of fear. Whenever saying that verse, are you kidding me? Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was afraid. Why was Umar ibn Abdul Aziz afraid? What does he have to worry about? Every one of us, we study his life as a model of Tazkiyah. But whenever he read that ayah, it scared him to a point that his wife thought he was going to die. What is that about? What is that about with his grandfather, Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, who Rasulullah has guaranteed him Jannah. Who Rasulullah said that if there was to be a prophet after me, it would have been Umar. Who Rasulullah said there were people in the Ummah, the nations that came before you who were muhaddathun. They were spoken to. And if there is anyone in my nation that's like that, it's Umar al-Khattab who witnessed the battles with Rasulullah What is it with Umar al-Khattab reciting the ayat about hellfire and crying so much that he had two black marks under his eyes because of how much he feared those ayat. Why is it that those people were afraid and we are not afraid? SubhanAllah. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahimahullah, he once saw the great Mufassir of Qur'an, Mujahid rahimahullah. If you read it in books of Tafsir, you'll always find the name Mujahid. And he was a contemporary to Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. And when Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahimahullah saw him one day, after Salat al-Duha, he goes out and he finds Mujahid rahimahullah crying and reciting some of the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he sees him in private. It's not like Mujahid is out there in the middle of reading this. He sees him in private. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz breaks down into tears. And you know what he says? He says, Wayhaka ya Mujahid. 
كيف ألقى ربي في يوم أنت فيه ملاقي؟ How am I going to find my Lord? How am I going to meet my Lord on a day that you're going to meet him? Subhanallah. Not a profound statement. On the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to divide us based on the years that we lived. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to say, okay, those of you who lived from Adam السلام, to Muhammad السلام, come forward. Or, no, everyone stands behind their nephew. Everyone stands behind their prophet. That means that we are going to be standing, inshallah ta'ala, in the same ummah as Abu Bakr al-Siddiq And the same Lord who will question Abu Bakr will question you and I. What does that mean? We've got a long way to go. If they were not satisfied, then we cannot be satisfied. And you know what the greatest sign of Nifat is, the greatest sign of hypocrisy is? Anyone know? When you no longer fear. When you are so sure that you have reached the point where, mashallah, I'm doing everything I can, the deen is thriving because of me, or, you know, alhamdulillah, I go to the masjid every night for salat duration, I have nothing to worry about. When you have reached that point in your life, that is the greatest sign of me You know what Rasulullah said? لَوْلَا تُذْنِبُنْ خَشَيْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ مَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ الْعُجْبُ الْعُجْبُ If you were not to sin, then I would be worried, I would fear something greater for you. الْعُجْبُ 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 is when you are impressed by yourself. When you think that you are at a level that, MashaAllah, look at me. That's why Imam Al-Qayyim said that a good deed that takes you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or rather a sin that brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the good deed that takes you away. The sin that will bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like the man who Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam described to us amongst those seven who are in the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on the day when there is no shade except for that shade. And one of them, a young man who was approached by a beautiful woman, the stage of committing zina is set. All he has to do is take it. But what happens? That last moment, he pulls back. What does he say? In the akhaf Allah. I fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A sin that will bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more beloved than a good deed that makes you more paralyzed, more impressed with yourself, more satisfied. Because if you're satisfied, you're never going to ascend. And one thing that you can find that is uniform with all of the Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is that they were never satisfied. Whether it was going to as far as him claiming that they have become hypocrites, all the way to Amr ibn As, at his death, saying that my life can be divided into three. At first, I was an enemy to Rasulullah And he was the most hated person to me. And if I would have died at that time, I surely would have been from amongst the people of hellfire. Then, I embraced Islam. And Rasulullah became the most beloved person to me on the face of the earth. And he says, if I would have died during that time, I definitely would have entered Jannah. Now I'm not so sure. Now I'm not so sure. These are Sahaba talking. These are Sahaba who are not sure if they were going to enter Jannah or not. 
These are Sahaba who feared that standing on the Day of Judgment. Who are we to say that we have been guaranteed protection from that? You have to keep on working hard. You have to act with a sense of urgency. You have to act with a sense of desperation. When Rasulullah says, Rush to do good deeds. You act with desperation because you are not so sure about yourself. If you have reached that point, then that is hypocrisy. <coughs> Dear brothers and sisters, the most dangerous thing that we find is something called status quo. Whenever status quo is being fulfilled, meaning status quo is, if I go to the masjid this many times a week, or if I attend Jum'ah, then I'm alright. Then no one's going to think anything's wrong with me. No one's going to come to my house in Jola and say, Brother, where have you been? No one is going to tell me, Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm good. My kid finished reading Quran when he was seven years old. Alhamdulillah, I'm good. He had his Quran, Ameen, or Khatman Quran. We had a nice big party. Everyone knows my kid finished Quran. I'm good. Um, and you start to list your accomplishments this way. As long as I'm meeting status quo, then I'm okay. What does that tell you about yourself? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna al-Imam, that verily faith, la yathlaku fi jawfi ahadikum, kama yathlaku thawb. That Imam becomes dried up and worn out in your hearts, just like a thawb does. Meaning if you keep on putting, you take a very nice shirt that has a very bright color, you put it in the washer and dryer six, seven times, what happens to it? It becomes dull. There is nothing refreshing. You're just doing what everyone else is doing. And all you're trying to do is make sure that the image of your relationship is okay. But in private, who are you? When you are alone, who are you? When no one is watching you, who are you? Because that's all that's going to count. And if those deeds were to be documented, then would you be proud of them or not? And would you be willing to show those deeds to other people or not? And Allah has described to us this incident so many times. But the irony, again, those who are more afraid of their sins are more willing to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in fact love to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas those who are actually committing major sins, those who are actually disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly, what is it? They hate to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why would it be that a person who is afraid of his reckoning would love to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because Allah says, whoever hates to meet him, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates to meet him also. Why is it that a person who would be in that situation of questioning himself would actually want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that situation? It's really something to think about. But that's what a relationship is. If you truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you know that your Lord is more merciful because you tried, you made the effort. You would be satisfied only then that you actually made the effort and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is going to reward you, inshaAllah. At the same time, the one who is constantly disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so confident, is so happy, his heart is so free of any fear in this dunya, he will be the complete opposite on the day of judgment. When we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us. Now, if you're just doing what everyone else is doing, and you're meeting status quo, and everyone is satisfied with you, 
and no one thinks you're a bad person. And on the surface, you're a very good Muslim. You wear your thobe when you come to the masjid. You've got the look, you've got the walk, you know, you do just as much activity. Whenever the fundraiser time comes, you give just what everybody else gives. Whenever it comes time for Salat al-Fajr, you see if your friends are going and you'll go too. If you're in that situation, then you know what you might be doing? And you might be guilty of it. You might just be putting a very pretty face on a very ugly relationship. You might just be putting a very pretty face on a very ugly relationship. Because I'll tell you what, Tiger Woods, did anybody think he was cheating on his wife with like 20-something women? I didn't think so. Why is it that Tiger Woods only feels bad and comes out and gives that phony press conference after he got caught? Then all of a sudden, I'm ashamed of myself. I can't believe I did that. I don't know what I was thinking. I can't forgive myself and I don't expect you to forgive me. Who was the victim the whole time? That relationship was extremely ugly, but on the surface, he's got it all. He's a family man. John Edwards, who I supported for president <laughs> back in the day. John Edwards. See him, mashallah, the champion of, uh, of uh, you know, civil rights and stuff like that, and, uh, the poor and all that kind of stuff. You look at him and you say, wow, you know, he's stuck by his cancer-stricken wife the whole time. And they lost their son in a car accident. Then all of a sudden, whenever he gets caught cheating and having a love child, all of a sudden John Edwards feels guilty. All of a sudden John Edwards wants to cry. Is that how we act when we lost Hanotana? You only feel bad about your sin when you get caught. How come you didn't feel bad about that sin when you were not getting caught? Was it because the status quo was being met? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not prepared Jannah for status quo people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared Jannah for al ghurba Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared Jannah for As-Sabiqur. Those who rush to do good deeds, those who are not satisfied with themselves, those who are constantly trying to do more to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they realize that no matter how much they do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not been repaid. And so they're constantly trying to make it. They're constantly aiming for, per for perfection. So even Abu Bakr Siddiq the one who Ali he was the foremost in every single good. Anytime there is a good deed being presented, Rasulullah is asking the Sahaba. He's sitting with the Sahaba, he's asking the Sahaba, who amongst you prayed Janazah today? Wekin raises his hand. And some Sahaba raise their hand. Hands go down. Who amongst you fasted today? Abubakar Siddiq raises his hand. And another group of uh, Sahaba raise their hand. Who amongst you gave Sadaqah today? Abubakar Siddiq raises his hand. Another group of Sahaba raise their hand. Who amongst you um, visited a sick person today? Abubakar Siddiq raises his hand. Another group of Sahaba raise their hand. And Rasulullah Wasallam. Telling Abu Bakr Siddiq when he asks, Will anyone enter Jannah from all of its gates? That yes, and I hope that you will. Abu Bakr Siddiq, you know what he said? He said, If I have one foot in Jannah, I will not be satisfied until the other foot gets in. That's Abu Bakr, who is the greatest man on the face of whoever walked the face of the earth that was not a prophet. 
And he said, if I have one foot in Jannah, I will not be satisfied until the other foot is already in. Why? Because he was certain that he will meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was certain that he would have his book of deeds presented to him. And he wanted to make sure that that book of deeds was full of good. You know what? Ibn Hayyan, Ibn Hayyan, rahimahullah ta'ala, one of the salaf, he used to walk out in the middle of the night. And he used to say, Rujibtu min al-jannah. I am amazed at al-jannah. How is the one who's seeking it going to sleep? Rujibtu min al-nar. I am amazed from hellfire. How is the one who's trying to run away and escape from hellfire going to sleep? Why are we so paralyzed? Is it because status quo is being met? That is the most dangerous. And you know how you can analyze yourself and see if it's just status quo? Ask yourself this question. Is your salah the same quality at home? Okay? Not praying behind the shaykh. If you pray your sunnah in the masjid, and you pray it at home, which is, by the way, closer and more beloved to the sunnah because Rasulullah said, do not turn your homes into graveyards. If you pray those two rak'ahs at home, and you compare it to the quality of those two rak'ahs in the masjid, are those two rak'ahs in the masjid just a little bit longer? Is the sujood just a little bit longer? Do you make sure that you actually read another surah after surah al-Fatiha when you pray the masjid? Or that you actually read the Fatiha in the way it's supposed to be read? How are you when people don't see you? Who are you behind closed doors? That is what matters to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not your image. This is all fake. This is all an image. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will strip it off of us on the day of judgment. And the only thing that will be presented is your heart. This is what the Taqwa is. And you know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say? To the people who used to show off their deeds to others, to make sure that everything was good in terms of status quo, Allah will say to them, اِذْهَبُوا إِلَى الَّذِينَ كُنْتُمْ تُرَعْمُونَ فِي الدُّنْيَا فَانْضِرُوا هَلْ تَجِدُونَ عِنَّهُمْ جَزَانًا Go to those people that you used to show your deeds to in dunya, and ask them, and see, do they have any good for you today? Do they have any reward for your deeds today? No. You wanted people to say, MashaAllah, he goes to the masjid, MashaAllah, you know, this guy is a really righteous person, MashaAllah, this guy is always there for Salat al-Isha, you got what you want. You wanted people to say you're a knowledgeable person, you got what you want. You wanted people to say you're a generous person, you got what you want. You wanted people to say that, MashaAllah, he gave his life for the sake of Allah subhanahu you got what you want. You know what? Coincidentally, those are the first three people according to Rasulullah who are dragged on their faces into the hellfire. On whom hellfire is lit. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Imagine that. A scholar. A perceived shaheed. A generous person. Hellfire is lit upon them. Before the, before the most wicked person that you can possibly imagine. Why? Because it was fake. It was artificial. If you really want Jannah, if you're really worried about your standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment, worry about your standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in dunya. Not in front of Omar, or 
and not in front of Muhammad, not in front of anyone else. Worry about how you look in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that's what's going to matter. And by the way, this is something that's very interesting. We are very blessed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves to forgive, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in fact, He loves it when we repent more than we love it when we repent. How do we know that from Rasulullah sallam that Allah is more happy with your repentance than the person who is in the desert and he has his camel and all of his provisions are on that camel and he loses that camel and then the happiness and joy that he has when he finds that camel and then he calls to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he says, Ya Rabb, Ya Rabb, I am your Lord and you are my servant because he's so overjoyed that he's actually mixing up his words. Allah is more happy with your repentance than that man. We're so blessed to have that. But we still have to take that step. And I'll just end with one very beautiful hadith where Rasulullah is talking about Musa asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about al Jannah, Sahih Muslim. And by the way, just as a side note, to question the perfection of al Jannah is to question Allah subhanahu to question whether Jannah is worth it or not. Because that's essentially what you do every time you decide to sin. You decide to put your Jannah on the line. It's like you're playing a game of poker and you, put, you bet your Jannah on the line because of that sin. Because Allah might take you while you're committing that sin. You're putting your Jannah, your place in Jannah on the line. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has perfected Al Jannah and has made it the place of eternal joy and happiness. No one is going to come to a Jannah and say, this is food and This is what we're talking about? This is the milk of a Jannah? These are the palaces that we're... No one is going to come in a Jannah and be unsatisfied with a Jannah. Musa, alayhi salam, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is the lowest place in Jannah? Or what is the least reward? The least manzid in al-Jannah. The minimum reward in al-Jannah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that whenever a man will be pulled out of hellfire, who will be put into al-Jannah only after everyone else has been pulled out of hellfire that is meant to be pulled out of hellfire, meaning he is the most wicked Muslim, the most wicked believer. He has the least amount of iman in his heart. And he will be pulled out of, out of hellfire, scorched, after everyone else has been taken out. That is meant to be taken out. Okay, Jahannam stays forever. And then, Jannah, everyone who was meant to enter, has already entered, except for that one man. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings the scorched man to him. And he says, Ya Abdi, Atawullah, and Yakuna lak mulk, Malik in Muluk dunya Would you be satisfied if you were to have the kingdom of one of the kings of dunya, the entire kingdom of the world? And I mean, put yourself in this position. This guy, Allahu Alam, but if he is the least person is Iman, that means that he was committing kabah. That means that he was committing major sins. So I mean, imagine this. You have committed so many sins, major sins, and you have the least percentage of Iman, the amount of Iman, and you're being pulled out of Jahannam now, and you're being asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so do you want the kingdom, which is the only greatness that you knew, because you've not seen Jannah yet, 
You've seen the kingdom of this world. Do you want the entire kingdom of this world? Would you be pleased with that? Naam. Yes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَكَهَا Then you have that. وَمِثْلَهُ 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 Five times. And then the servant says what? Walid. That's enough. I'm okay. I'm pleased. Walid. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after that, لَكَ كُلُّ ذَلِكَ وَعَشْرًا You have all of that and ten times that. You know what Musa says? Musa knows that he's actually a prophet and he is not the lowest person in the Jannah. And so he asks, he says, says, Then how about the one who's higher than him? Think about that. Do any one of us think to ourselves that we might be the last person to enter Jannah? Musa is like, if this is what the lowest person in Jannah gets, what about the ones who are higher than him? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? قَالَ لَا don't ask. Don't ask. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has customized it. Whatever you deserve, you will get. No eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. And it has not even come to the imagination or the desire on the heart of any single human being. Do you actually doubt whether or not Jannah is worth it? Or do you Jannah? Then how are you not thinking about this? If I was to tell you that I booked you a trip to Hawaii next week, to a private island, where your cell phone will be turned off, uh, for me that's, that's general. <laughs> your cell phone's off, no connection with the rest of the world, you have your island, you're completely alone. You know what you would do? You would probably not be able to sleep for that entire week. You would be so excited that you keep going online to see your itinerary, keep looking at the picture, keep making sure that this is for real. You would lose sleep out of how excited you are. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising you a jannah. He does not go back on his promise. Promising you jannah, not for perfection, but for making a sincere effort. Promising you a place that your wildest imagination cannot even conceive. SubhanAllah. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something that Rasulullah has said. There is a house in our Jannah that has your name on it. Did you know that? There is a house in our Jannah that already has your name on it. Each and every single one of us. But you know what the other side of that is? There is also a house in the hellfire that has each and every single one of us, our personalized names on it. And what did Rasulullah say? If you inhabit one of them, the other one goes. Which house do you want to inhabit? It is already there with your personalized plates. Your house in Jannah already exists.
All you have to do is not mess it up. That's it. Everything's halal for you. Everything is halal for you. Go out and do everything. Avoid what Allah has prohibited for you. And make a sincere effort. It's there. If you doubt that, then that's why you will mess up. But at the same time, how terrifying is it to know that there is a house in hellfire that's named for you and it's waiting for you to inhabit it? SubhanAllah. Do you have any doubts? that you will one day stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and inhabit one of these homes. Do you have any doubts? That's yaqeen. That's muraqah. Rasulullah said something very beautiful. Even to ask for a jannah is a way of getting your close, yourself closer to it. Rasulullah said that whoever asks for a jannah, whoever says, Allahumma atqilni jannah. Simple. Oh Allah, enter me into paradise. Three times. You know what happens? Jannah speaks. Paradise speaks. And says, Oh Allah, enter him into me. Paradise. And Jannah speaks on your behalf. How long does it take? Allahumma atkhilni Jannah. Allahumma atkhilni Jannah. Allahumma atkhilni Jannah. How miraculous is that? And whoever asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala three times, Allahumma jinni man al-ma'ar, Allahumma jinni man al-ma'ar, Allahumma jinni man al-ma'ar. Oh Allah, protect me from the hellfire. Oh Allah, distance me from the hellfire. Hellfire speaks and says, Oh Allah, distance him from me. How simple is that? Now, on the day of judgment, there's many levels of regret. Everyone has a level of regrets. Every single person on the Day of Judgment has a level of regrets. Some people will have the level of regret to the point that they would wish that they never existed, being the kuffar. You know what? Ahlul Jannah also have a regret. What is it? Anyone know? That there were moments that were wasted, that they were not world glorifying the loss of Ahlul Jannah, the Shaheed, the martyr, wants to come back to this world and die again for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Malaika who are free from sin, when they see the Mizan, the scale, that your deeds and my deeds will go inside. You know what they say? Those creatures who have been created to do nothing but worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do not have the choice but to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will say, We did not worship you as much as we should have. So if you're satisfied with yourself, then you're claiming to be better than the angels. That's how serious it is. Do not be satisfied with yourself. Look for your goal of the general and look for every single path to get to it. And if you make that sincere effort, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not demanded from you perfection. As long as you are trying, and not just for the sake of the people, but for your own success and your own good, <coughs> then you would have gotten somewhere. And we ask, we can only ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us that beautiful station, these 
station where we would be the neighbors of Rasulullah where we would actually be able to talk to Rasulullah and tell them about this day or tell them about our conversations the station where we would actually drink from the hand of Rasulullah if we get that drink we'll never feel thirst again we have a chance at that it's much better than your Hawaii trip this is Jannah this is your raffle work for it and do not stop at anything and do not wait until the people think that you've reached the position that you need to reach not until you have become satisfied. And if you have become satisfied, then you've reached hypocrisy. Imam Ahmad rahimahullah, and I'll just end with this. His son Abdullah comes to him in prison. And he does not have shoes to wear. And he's looking at his humiliated father, who has been lashed so many times that the skin on his back is gone. And he asks his father, Ya Abati, Oh my father, when are we going to rest? What did Imam Ahmad Rahimahullah say? The awwali khutwah. With the first step, nakhtuhah fil jannah. That we take in jannah, inshaAllah. That's when we stop. That's when we're satisfied. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us a jannah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us a jannah to fill those. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to make us amongst those who show our deeds to others or who commit shirk in our in the performance of our deeds. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us full ikhlas. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us full iman. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us full yaqeen. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gather us under his shade on the day when there is no shade except for the shade of his throne. I'm very sorry for my Soft-spokenness, I can't do better than that because my throat is <laughs> not allowing me to. But Barakallah Fikum, I appreciate you being patient with me. If there's any questions, inshaAllah, if it's any fiqh questions, your shaykh is here and he's more knowledgeable than me. So you ask him and leave me out of that, inshaAllah. If there's any questions related to the topic or just practical things, then inshaAllah, please feel free to ask.
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not just going to inform you of your deeds. Allah Azzawajal will actually make you read your own deeds. You will have to present your own deeds. I will have to present my own deeds to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's not only like your mother is watching you, it's like having to sit there and watch the surveillance video with your mom and then explain yourself to her. It's deeper than that. Because you are not only aware that your mother is watching you, but you're also observing her presence. And this is the key of muraqabah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is observing you, and you are in observance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whenever you're alone, you find some alone time with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So instead of rushing to do sins because you know that no one else is watching you, what do you do instead? You rush to do good deeds where no one else can see you. Because you don't want other people to infringe on that relationship that you have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you know something, dear brothers and sisters? Allah has given us the likeness of the sins that we commit in many different ways. And you have to be able to use imagery. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, He talks about the sin of backbiting. Likens backbiting to eating the flesh. Would any one of you like to eat the dead flesh of your brother? You would hate that. So fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the acceptor of repentance and the all the most merciful. Or when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told Safiya, uh, told Aisha ta'ala whenever she described Safiya like this, she just put her hand in a way to show that she's short. And Rasulullah sallallahu says that you have said a word that if you were to spit it into the waters, it would pollute the entire oceans. SubhanAllah. Or whenever Rasulullah sallallahu is talking about the crime of of riba, uh, interest, that the lowest part of it is like committing zina with your mother multiple times. Or when Rasulullah says that to touch a person who is not related to you, meaning a non-mahram, is worse than taking an iron needle and driving it through your head. You might think to yourself, are these expressions being used just to scare me? Because you know what, in dunya, whenever you use an expression, to say how bad your day was or how bad this was that you did, you usually use that expression knowing that it doesn't amount to that, but at the same time you're trying to make the other party feel good. Right? So whenever someone comes five minutes late to your house and you say, you ruined my life because you came late and we were supposed to have this at this time, but you ruined my life or you ruined my day or my work is like hell on earth. Or you use expressions like that. The actual violation never amounts to the expression. With Allah and His Messenger وسلم, the expression is not strong enough to represent the violation. Meaning if we took our sins more seriously, if we were more disgusted from our sins, then the way that we approach our sins would be a lot more different. Muhammad ibn Wasaq, rahimahullah ta'ala, that's what he said. Many of you might have heard this statement, it actually goes back to Muhammad ibn Wasaq, rahimahullah ta'ala, who said that if sins had an odor, if sins had a scent, then no one would, would want to sit next to me because of how stinky I would be. SubhanAllah. So think about that. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to give you your book of deeds, 
who would you be willing to show it to? Now let's go to the opposite side. And that is the side of yaqeen. That is the side of certainty. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the hadith, hadith Qudsi, مَنْ أَحَبَّ لِقَائِي أَحْبَبْتُ لِقَائِي Whoever loves to meet me, then I love to meet him. And whoever hates to meet me, then I also hate to meet him. Isn't it ironic that the people who work deeds of righteousness are the ones who are most fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the reckoning of their deeds? SubhanAllah. Isn't it ironic that you would find people who are praying in the masjid, who are observing you know, what would be enough, to, at least in terms of status quo, in terms of the standard, who are observing the standard of being a good Muslim, isn't that ironic that those people are more afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the guy who's selling liquor, than the guy who's committing sin, than the guy who's running around and acting like he has no Lord and he has no Akhir? It's ironic. SubhanAllah, you are the one who is committing major sins, but you're not afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas Umar bin Abdul Aziz rahimahullah ta'ala was the same person who it was said about him by the scholars that all of the ulama are students compared to him. He was recognized as the greatest zahid of his time. And his wife, Fatima, may Allah be pleased with her, says that whenever he would read the verse in the Quran, فَرِيْكٌ فِي الْجَنَّةِ وَفَرِيْكٌ فِي السَّعِيدِ A group in paradise and a group in a blazing fire. She would think that she would wake up and the Ummah would have to choose a new Khalifa, meaning he would die from how much he would tremble out of fear. Whenever seeing that verse, are you kidding me? Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was afraid. Why was Umar ibn Abdul Aziz afraid? What does he have to worry about? Every one of us, we study his life as a model of Tazkiyah. But whenever he read that ayah, it scared him to a point that his wife thought he was going to die. What is that about? What is that about with his grandfather, Umar al-Khattab who Rasulullah has guaranteed him Jannah. Who Rasulullah said that if there was to be a prophet after me, it would have been Umar. Who Rasulullah said there were people in the Ummah, the nations that came before you who were muhaddathun. They were spoken to. And if there is anyone in my nation that's like that, it's Umar al-Khattab who witnessed the battles with Rasulullah what is it with Umar al-Khattab <coughs> reciting the ayat about hellfire and crying so much that he had two black marks under his eyes because of how much he feared those ayat. Why is it that those people were afraid and we are not afraid? SubhanAllah. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahimahullah once saw the great Mufassir of Qur'an Mujahid, rahimahullah, if you read in books of tafsir, you'll always find the name Mujahid. And he was a contemporary to Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. And when Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah, saw him one day, after Salat al-Duha, he goes out and he finds Mujahid, rahimahullah, crying and reciting some of the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he sees him in private. It's not like Mujahid is out there in the middle reading this. He sees him in private. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz breaks down into tears. And you know what he says? He says, Wayhaka ya Mujahid. 
كيف ألقى ربي في يوم أنت فيه ملاقي؟ How am I going to find my Lord? How am I going to meet my Lord on a day that you're going to meet him? Subhanallah. Not a profound statement. On the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to divide us based on the years that we lived. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to say, okay, those of you who lived from Adam السلام, to Muhammad السلام, come forward. Or, no, everyone stands behind their Nabi. Everyone stands behind their Prophet. That means that we are going to be standing, inshaAllah ta'ala, in the same ummah as Abu Bakr as-Siddiq ta'ala. And the same Lord who will question Abu Bakr will question you and I. What does that mean? We've got a long way to go. If they were not satisfied, then we cannot be satisfied. And you know what the greatest sign of the fact is, the greatest sign of hypocrisy is? Anyone know? When you no longer fear. When you are so sure that you have reached the point where, mashallah, I'm doing everything I can, the deen is thriving because of me, or, you know, alhamdulillah, I go to the masjid every night for salat duration, I have nothing to worry about. When you have reached that point in your life, that is the greatest sign of nifah. You know what Rasulullah said? لَوْلَا تُذْنِبُنْ خَشَيْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ مَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ الْعُجْبُ الْعُجْبُ If you were not to sin, then I would be worried, I would fear something greater for you. الْعُجْبُ 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 is when you are impressed by yourself. When you think that you are at a level that, mashallah, look at me. That's why Imam Al-Qayyim said that a good deed that takes you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or rather a sin that brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the good deed that takes you away. The sin that will bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like the man who Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam described to us amongst those seven who are in the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on the day when there is no shade except for that shade. And one of them, a young man who was approached by a beautiful woman, the stage of committing zina is set. All he has to do is take it. But what happens? That last moment, he pulls back. What does he say? In the akhaf Allah. I fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A sin that will bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more beloved than a good deed that makes you more paralyzed, more impressed with yourself, more satisfied. Because if you're satisfied, you're never going to ascend. And one thing that you can find that is uniform with all of the Sahaba of Rasulullah is that they were never satisfied. Whether it was going to as far as claiming that they have become hypocrites, all the way to at his death saying that my life can be divided into three. At first, I was an enemy to Rasulullah And he was the most hated person to me. And if I would have died at that time, I surely would have been from amongst the people of Hellfire. Then, I embraced Islam. And Rasulullah became the most beloved person to me on the face of the earth. And he says, if I would have died during that time, I definitely would have entered Jannah. Now I'm not so sure. Now I'm not so sure. These are Sahaba talking. These are Sahaba who are not sure if they were going to enter Jannah or not. 
These are Sahaba who feared that standing on the Day of Judgment. Who are we to say that we have been guaranteed protection from that? You have to keep on working hard. You have to act with a sense of urgency. You have to act with a sense of desperation. When Rasulullah says, Rush to do good deeds. You act with desperation because you are not so sure about yourself. If you have reached that point, then that is hypocrisy. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, the most dangerous thing that we find is something called status quo. Whenever status quo is being fulfilled, meaning status quo is, if I go to the masjid this many times a week, or if I attend Jum'ah, then I'm alright. Then no one's going to think anything's wrong with me. No one's going to come to my house in Jola and say, Brother, where have you been? No one is going to tell me, Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm good. My kid finished reading Quran when he was seven years old. Alhamdulillah, I'm good. He had his Quran, Ameen, or Khatm Quran. We had a nice big party. Everyone knows my kid finished Quran. I'm good. Um, and you start to list your accomplishments this way. As long as I'm meeting status quo, then I'm okay. What does that tell you about yourself? Rasulullah said, Inna al-Imam, that verily faith, la yathlaku fi jawfi ahadikum, kama yathlaku thawb. That Iman becomes dried up and worn out in your hearts, just like a thawb does. Meaning if you keep on putting, you take a very nice shirt that has a very bright color, you put it in the washer and dryer six, seven times, what happens to it? It becomes dull. There is nothing refreshing. You're just doing what everyone else is doing. And all you're trying to do is make sure that the image of your relationship is okay. But in private, who are you? When you are alone, who are you? When no one is watching you, who are you? Because that's all that's going to count. And if those deeds were to be documented, then would you be proud of them or not? And would you be willing to show those deeds to other people or not? And Allah has described to us this incident so many times. But the irony, Again, those who are more afraid of their sins are more willing to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in fact love to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas those who are actually committing major sins, those who are actually disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly, what is it? They hate to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why would it be that a person who is afraid of his reckoning would love to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because Allah says, whoever hates to meet him, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates to meet him also. Why is it that a person who would be in that situation of questioning himself would actually want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that situation? It's really something to think about. But that's what a relationship is. If you truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you know that your Lord is more merciful because you tried, you made the effort. You would be satisfied only then that you actually made the effort and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is going to reward you, inshaAllah. At the same time, the one who is constantly disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so confident, is so happy, his heart is so free of any fear in this dunya, he will be the complete opposite on the day of judgment. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us. Now, if you're just doing what everyone else is doing, and you're meeting status quo, and everyone is satisfied with you, 
and no one thinks you're a bad person. And on the surface, you're a very good Muslim. You wear your thobe when you come to the masjid. You've got the look, you've got the walk, you know, you do just as much activity. Whenever the fundraiser time comes, you give just what everybody else gives. Whenever it comes time for Salat al-Fajr, you see if your friends are going and you'll go too. If you're in that situation, then you know what you might be doing? And you might be guilty of it. You might just be putting a very pretty face on a very ugly relationship. You might just be putting a very pretty face on a very ugly relationship. Because I'll tell you what, Tiger Woods, anybody think he was cheating on his wife with like 20-something women? I didn't think so. Why is it that Tiger Woods only feels bad and comes out and gives that phony press conference after he got caught? Then all of a sudden, I'm ashamed of myself. I can't believe I did that. I don't know what I was thinking. I can't forgive myself and I don't expect you to forgive me. Who was the victim the whole time? That relationship was extremely ugly, but on the surface, He's got it all. He's a family man. John Edwards, who I supported for president <laughs> back in the day. John Edwards. You see him, mashallah, the champion of, uh, of uh, you know, civil rights and stuff like that, and, uh, the poor and all that kind of stuff. You look at him and you say, wow, you know, he stuck by his cancer-stricken wife the whole time. And they lost their son in a car accident. Then all of a sudden, whenever he gets caught cheating, and having a love child, all of a sudden John Edwards feels guilty. All of a sudden John Edwards wants to cry. Is that how we act when we lost Hamatana? You only feel bad about your sin when you get caught. How come you didn't feel bad about that sin when you were not getting caught? Was it because the status quo was being met? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not prepared Jannah for status quo people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared Jannah for al ghurba Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared Jannah for As-Sabiqur. Those who rush to do good deeds, those who are not satisfied with themselves, those who are constantly trying to do more to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they realize that no matter how much they do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not been repaid. And so they're constantly trying to make it. They're constantly aiming for, for perfection. So even Abu Bakr Siddiq the one who Ali radiallahu ta'ala said He was the foremost in every single good. Anytime there is a good deed being presented, Rasulullah is asking the Sahaba. He's sitting with the Sahaba, he's asking the Sahaba, Who amongst you prayed Janazah today? Abu Bakr raises his hand. And some Sahaba raise their hand. Hands go down. Who amongst you fasted today? Who amongst you gave sadaqah today? Abu Bakr Siddiq raises his hand, another group of Sahaba raises their hand. Who amongst you um, visited a sick person today? Abu Bakr Siddiq raises his hand, another group of Sahaba raises their hand. And Rasulullah sallallahu telling Abu Bakr Siddiq when he asks, Will anyone enter Jannah from all of its gates? That yes, and I hope that you will. Abu Bakr Siddiq, you know what he said? He said, if I have one foot in Jannah, I will not be satisfied until the other foot gets in. That's Abu Bakr, who is the greatest man on the face of whoever walked the face of the earth that was not a prophet. 
And he said, if I have one foot in Jannah, I will not be satisfied until the other foot is already in. Why? Because he was certain that he will meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was certain that he would have his book of deeds presented to him. And he wanted to make sure that that book of deeds was full of good. You know what? Ibn, Ibn Hayyan, Ibn Hayyan, rahimahullah ta'ala, one of the salaf, he used to walk out in the middle of the night. And he used to say, Rujibtu min al-jannah. I am amazed at al-jannah. How is the one who is seeking it going to sleep? I am amazed from hellfire. How is the one who is trying to run away and escape from hellfire going to sleep? Why are we so paralyzed? Is it because status quo is being met? That is the most dangerous. And you know how you can analyze yourself and see if it's just status quo? Ask yourself this question. Is your salah the same quality at home? Okay? Not praying behind the shaykh. If you pray your sunnah in the masjid, and you pray it at home, which is by the way closer and more beloved to the sunnah because Rasulullah said, do not turn your homes into graveyards. If you pray those two rak'ahs at home, and you compare it to the quality of those two rak'ahs in the masjid, are those two rak'ahs in the masjid just a little bit longer? Is the sujood just a little bit longer? Do you make sure that you actually read another surah after surah al-Fatiha when you pray the message? Or that you actually read the Fatiha in the way it's supposed to be read? How are you when people don't see you? Who are you behind closed doors? That is what matters to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not your image. This is all fake. This is all an image. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will strip it off of us on the day of judgment. And the only thing that will be presented is your heart. This is what the taqwa is. And you know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say? To the people who used to show off their deeds to others, to make sure that everything was good in terms of status quo, Allah will say to them, اِذْهَبُوا إِلَى الَّذِينَ كُنْتُمْ تُرَعُونَ فِي الدُّنْيَا Go to those people that you used to show your deeds to in dunya and ask them and see, do they have any good for you today? Do they have any reward for your deeds today? No. You wanted people to say, MashaAllah, he goes to the masjid, MashaAllah, you know, this guy is a really righteous person, MashaAllah, this guy is always there for Salat al Isha. You got what you want. You wanted people to say you're a knowledgeable person, you got what you want. You wanted people to say you're a generous person, you got what you want. You wanted people to say that, mashallah, he gave his life for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you got what you want. You know what? Coincidentally, those are the first three people according to Rasulullah who are dragged on their faces into the hellfire. On whom hellfire is lit. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Imagine that. A scholar, a perceived shaheed, a generous person. Hellfire is lit upon them before the, before the most wicked person that you can possibly imagine. Why? Because it was fake. It was artificial. If you really want Jannah, if you're really worried about your standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment, worry about your standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in dunya. Not in front of Omar, or 
not in front of Muhammad, not in front of anyone else. Worry about how you look in front of Allah Because that's what's going to matter. And by the way, this is something that's very interesting. We are very blessed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves to forgive and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in fact, He loves it when we repent more than we love it when we repent. How do we know that from Rasulullah that Allah is more happy with your repentance than the person who is in the desert and he has his camel and all of his provisions are on that camel and he loses that camel and then the happiness and joy that he has when he finds that camel and then he calls to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he says, Ya Rabb, Ya Rabb, I am your Lord and you are my servant. Because he's so overjoyed that he's actually mixing up his words. Allah is more happy with your repentance than that bit. We're so blessed to have that. But we still have to take that step. And I'll just end with one very beautiful hadith. Where Rasulullah is talking about Musa asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about al-Jannah, Sahih Muslim. And by the way, just as a side note, to question the perfection of al-Jannah is to question Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To question whether Jannah is worth it or not. Because that's essentially what you do every time you decide to sin. You decide to put your Jannah on the line. It's like you're playing a game of poker and you, put, you bet your Jannah on the line. Because of that sin. Because Allah might take you while you're committing that sin. You're putting your jannah, your place in jannah on the line. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has perfected al jannah and has made it the place of eternal joy and happiness. No one is going to come to a jannah and say, This is food and This is what we're talking about. This is the milk of a jannah. These are the palaces that we're. No one is going to come in a jannah and be unsatisfied. With Al-Jannah. Musa, Rasulullah says, Sa'ala Musa ibn Imran, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is the lowest place in Jannah? Or what is the least reward? The least manzid in Al-Jannah. The minimum reward in Al-Jannah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that whenever a man will be pulled out of hellfire, who will be put into a Jannah only after everyone else has been pulled out of a hellfire that is meant to be pulled out of hellfire, meaning he is the most wicked Muslim, the most wicked believer. He has the least amount of Iman in his heart. And he will be pulled out of, a, out of hellfire, scorched, after everyone else has been taken out, that is meant to be taken out. Okay, Jannah stays forever. And then, Jannah, everyone who was meant to enter has already entered, except for that one man. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings the scorched man to him. And he says, Ya Abdi, atawdah an yakuna lak mulk malik in muluk dunya Would you be satisfied if you were to have the kingdom of one of the kings of dunya, the entire kingdom of the world? And I mean, put yourself in this position. This guy, Allahu Akbar. But if he is the least person is Imam, that means that he was committing kabah. That means that he was committing major sins. So I mean, imagine this. You have committed so many sins, major sins, and you have the least percentage of Iman, amount of Iman, and you're being pulled out of Jahannam now, and you're being asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so do you want the kingdom, which is the only greatness that you know, because you've not seen Jahannam yet. 
You've seen the kingdom of this world. Do you want the entire kingdom of this world? Would you be pleased with that? Nah. Yes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَكَهَا Then you have that. وَمِثْلَهُ 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 Five times. And then the servant says what? Walid. That's enough. I'm okay. I'm pleased. Walid. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after that, لَكَ كُلُّ ذَلِكَ وَعَشْرَ You have all of that and ten times that. You know what Musa says? Musa knows that he's actually a prophet and he is not the lowest person in the Jannah. And so he asks, he says, says, Then how about the one who's higher than him? Think about that. Do any one of us think to ourselves that we might be the last person to enter Jannah? Musa is like, if this is what the lowest person in Jannah gets, what about the ones who are higher than him? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Don't ask. Don't ask. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has customized it. Whatever you deserve, you will get. No eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. And it has not even come to the imagination or the desire on the heart of any single human being. Do you actually doubt whether or not Jannah is worth it? Projectuna Jannah. Then how are you not thinking about this? If I was to tell you that I booked you a trip to Hawaii next week, to a private island, where your cell phone will be turned off, uh, for me that's, that's general. <laughs> your cell phone's off, no connection with the rest of the world, you have your island, you're completely alone. You know what you would do? You would probably not be able to sleep for that entire week. You would be so excited that you keep going online to see your itinerary, keep looking at the picture, keep making sure that this is for real. You would lose sleep, sleep out of how excited you are. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising you a jannah. He does not go back on his promise. Promising you jannah, not for perfection, but for making a sincere effort. Promising you a place that your wildest imagination cannot even conceive. SubhanAllah. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something that Rasulullah has said. There is a house in the Jannah that has your name on it. Did you know that? There is a house in the Jannah that already has your name on it. Each and every single one of us. But you know what the other side of that is? There is also a house in the hellfire that has each and every single one of us our personalized names on it. And what did Rasulullah say? If you inhabit one of them, the other one goes. Which house do you want to inhabit? It is already there with your personalized plates. Your house in Jannah already exists. 
all you have to do is not mess it up. That's it. Everything's halal for you. Everything is halal for you. Al-asqul fil-ashya' al-ibah. Go out and do everything. Avoid what Allah has prohibited for you. And make a sincere effort. It's there. If you doubt that, then that's why you will mess up. But at the same time, how terrifying is it to know that there is a house in hellfire that's named for you and it's waiting for you to inhabit it? SubhanAllah. Do you have any doubt that you will one day stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and inhabit one of these homes? Do you have any doubt? That's yaqeen. That's muraqabah. And Rasulullah said something very beautiful. Even to ask for al-jannah is a way of getting your close, yourself closer to it. Rasulullah said that whoever asks for al-jannah, whoever says, Allahumma atqilni al-jannah, Simple. Oh Allah, enter me into paradise. Three times. You know what happens? Jannah speaks. Paradise speaks. And says, Oh Allah, enter him into me. Paradise. And the Jannah speaks on your behalf. How long does it take? Allahumma atqilni al-jannah. Allahumma atqilni al-jannah. Allahumma atqilni al-jannah. How miraculous is that? And whoever asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala three times, Allahumma ajirni man al-nar, Allahumma ajirni man al-nar, Allahumma ajirni man al-nar, Oh Allah, protect me from the hellfire. Oh Allah, distance me from the hellfire. Hellfire speaks and says, Oh Allah, distance him from me. How simple is that? Now, on the day of judgment, there's many levels of regret. Everyone has a level of regrets. Every single person on the Day of Judgment has a level of regrets. Some people will have the level of regret to the point that they would wish that they never existed, being the kuffar. You know what? Ahlul Jannah also have a regret. What is it? Anyone know? That there were moments that were wasted, that they were not world glorifying the loss of Ahlul Jannah, the Shaheed, the martyr, wants to come back to this world and die again for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The malaika who are free from sin, when they see the mizan, the scale, that your deeds and my deeds will go inside. You know what they say? Those creatures who have been created to do nothing but worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do not have the choice but to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will say, We did not worship you as much as we should have. So if you're satisfied with yourself, then you're claiming to be better than the angels. That's how serious it is. Do not be satisfied with yourself. Look for your goal of the general and look for every single path to get to it. And if you make that sincere effort, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not demanded from you perfection. As long as you are trying, and not just for the sake of the people, but for your own success and your own good, <coughs> then you would have gotten somewhere. And we ask, we can only ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us that beautiful station 
this station where we would be the neighbors of Rasulullah where we would actually be able to talk to Rasulullah and tell him about this day or tell him about our conversations the station where we would actually drink from the hand of Rasulullah if we get that drink we'll never feel thirst again we have a chance at that it's much better than your Hawaii trip this is Jannah this is your raffle work for it and do not stop at anything and do not wait until the people think that you've reached the position that you need to reach not until you have become satisfied. And if you have become satisfied, then you've reached hypocrisy. Imam Ahmad rahimahullah, and I'll just end with this. His son Abdullah comes to him in prison. And he does not have shoes to wear. And he's looking at his humiliated father, who has been lashed so many times that the skin on his back is gone. And he asks his father, Ya Abati, Oh my father, when are we going to rest? What did Imam Ahmad Rahimullah say? The awwali khutwah. With the first step, nakhtuhah fil jannah, that we take in jannah, inshaAllah. That's when we stop. That's when we're satisfied. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us a jannah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us a jannah to fundos. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to make us amongst those who show our deeds to others or who commit shirk in, our, in the performance of our deeds. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us full ikhlas. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us full iman. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us full yaqeen. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gather us under His shade on the day when there is no shade except for the shade of His Allahumma I'm very sorry for my soft-spokenness. I can't do better than that because my throat is <laughs> not allowing me to. Barakallahu I appreciate you being patient with me. If there's any questions, inshallah ta'ala, then if it's any fiqh questions, your shaykh is here and he's more knowledgeable than me, so you ask him and lead me out of that, inshallah ta'ala. If there's any questions related to the topic or just practical things, then inshallah ta'ala, please feel free to ask.